Welcome to today's podcast. Today I'm reading uh, part two of Neville Goddard's lecture, Assumptions Hardened into Fact. This was lesson two of five um, of the lectures that he gave in 1948. If you have not listened to part one of this podcast, Assumptions Hardened into Fact, then I would recommend going and listening to that podcast. And then if you have time, listen to both of them together. So part two of Assumptions Hardened into Fact. Here we go. The profession of a spy is this, to travel secretly, to travel so quietly that you may not be detected. There is not a single physical spy in this world who can travel so quietly that he will be altogether unseen by others. He may be very wise in concealing his ways, and he may never be truly apprehended. But at every moment of time, he runs the risk of being detected. When you are sitting quietly with your thoughts, there is no man in the world so wise that he can look at you and tell you where you are mentally dwelling. I can stand here and place myself in London. Knowing London quite well, I can close my eyes and assume that I am actually standing in London. If I remain within the state long enough, I will be able to surround myself with the environment of London as though it were solid, concrete, objective fact. Physically, I am still here, but mentally, I am thousands of miles away and I have made elsewhere here. I do not go there as a spy. I mentally make elsewhere here. And then now. You cannot see me dwelling there, so you think I have just gone to sleep and that I am still here in this world. This three-dimensional world that is now San Francisco, as far as I am physically concerned, I am here, but no one can tell me where I am when I enter the moment of meditation. Rahab's next profession was that of a harlot, which is to grant unto men what they ask of her without asking man's right to ask. If she be an absolute harlot, as her name implies, then she possesses all and can grant all that man asks of her. She is there to serve and not to question man's right to seek what he seeks of her. You have within you the capacity to appropriate a state without knowing the means that will be employed to realize that end, and you assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled without having any of the talents that men claim you must possess in order to do so. When you appropriate it in consciousness, you have employed the spy. And because you can embody that state within yourself by actually giving it to yourself, you are the harlot, for the harlot satisfies the man who seeks her. You can satisfy self by appropriating the feeling that you are what you want to be. And this assumption, though false, that is, although reason and the senses deny it, if persisted in, will harden into fact. By actually embodying that which you have assumed you are, you have the capacity to become completely satisfied. Unless it becomes a tangible, concrete reality, you will not be satisfied. You will be frustrated. You are told in this story that when Rahab went into the city to conquer it, the command given to her was to enter the heart of the city, the heart of the matter, the very center of it, and there remain until I come. Do not go from house to house. Do not leave the upper room of the house unto which you enter. If you leave the house 
and there be blood upon your head, it is upon your head. But if you do not leave the house and there be blood, it shall be upon my head. Rahab goes into the house, rises to the upper floor, and there she remains while the walls crumble. That is, we must keep a high mood if we would walk in the highest. In a very veiled manner, the story tells you that when the walls crumbled and Joshua entered, the only one who was saved in the city was the spy and the harlot whose name was Rahab. This story tells you what you can do in this world. You will never lose the capacity to place yourself elsewhere and make it here. You will never lose the ability to give unto yourself what you are bold enough to appropriate as true of self. It has nothing to do with the woman who played that part. The explanation of the crumbling of the walls is simple. You are told that he blew upon the trumpet seven times, and at the seventh blast the walls crumbled, and he entered victoriously into the state that he sought. Seven is a stillness, a rest, the Sabbath. It is the state when man is completely unmoved in his conviction that the thing is. When I can assume the feeling of my wish fulfilled and go to sleep unconcerned, undisturbed, I am at rest mentally and am keeping the Sabbath or am blowing the trumpet seven times. And when I reach that point, the walls crumble. Circumstances alter, then remold themselves in harmony with my assumption. As they crumble, I resurrect that which I have appropriated within. The walls, the obstacles, the problems crumble of their own weight. If I can reach the point of stillness within me, the man who can fix within himself or within his own mind's eye an idea, even though the world would deny it, if he remains faithful to that idea, he will see it manifested. There is all the difference in the world between holding the idea and being held by the idea, becomes so dominated by an idea that it haunts the mind as though you were it. Then, regardless of what others may say, you are walking in the direction of your fixed attitude of mind. You are walking in the direction of the idea that dominates the mind. As we told you last night, you have but one gift that is truly yours to give, and that is yourself. There is no other gift. You must press it out of yourself by an appropriation. It is there within you now for creation is finished. There is nothing to be that is not not now. There is nothing to be created for all things are already yours. They are all finished. Although man may not be able to stand physically upon a state, he can always stand mentally upon any desired state. By standing mentally, I mean that you can now This very moment, close your eyes and visualize a place other than your present one and assume that you are actually there. You can feel this to be so real that upon opening your eyes, you are amazed to find that you are not physically there. This mental journey into the desired state with its subsequent feeling of reality is all that is necessary to bring about its fulfillment. Your dimensionally greater self has ways that the lesser or three-dimensional you No, not of. Furthermore, to the greater you, all means are good which promote the fulfillment of your assumption. 
Remain in the mental state defined as your objective until it has a feeling of reality and all the forces of heaven and earth will rush to aid its embodiment. Your greater self will influence the actions and words of all who can be used to aid the production of your fixed mental attitude. Now we now we return er, now we turn to the book of numbers and here we find a strange story. I trust that some of you have had this experience as described in the book of numbers. They speak of the building of a tabernacle at the command of God that God commanded Israel to build him a place of worship. He gave them all the specifications of the tabernacle. It had to be an elongated, movable place of worship, and it had to be covered with skin. Need you be told anything more? Isn't that man? Know ye not that ye are a temple, are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? First Corinthians three sixteen. There is no other temple, not a temple made with hands, but a temple. Eternal in the heavens, this temple is elongated and it is covered with skin and it moves across the desert. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even there was upon the tabernacle as it were the appearance of fire until this morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day or covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Numbers 9, 15, 16. The command given to Israel was to tarry until the cloud ascended by day and the fire by night, whether it were two days or a month or a year, that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle remaining thereon. The children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed that journeyed not, but when it was taken up they journeyed. Numbers nine twenty two. You know that you are the tabernacle, but you may wonder, what is the cloud? In meditation, many of you must have seen it. In meditation, this cloud, like the subsoil waters of an artesian wall, springs spontaneously to your head and forms itself into pulsating golden rings. Then, like a gentle river, they flow from your head in a stream of living rings of gold. In a meditative mood, boarding on sleep, the cloud ascends. It is in this drowsy state that you should assume that you are that which you desire to be and that you have that which you seek, for the cloud will assume to f- the form of your assumption and fashion a world in harmony with itself. The cloud is simply the garment of your consciousness, and where your consciousness is placed, there you will be in the flesh also. The golden cloud comes in meditation. There's a certain point when you are approaching sleep that is very, very thick, very liquid, and very much alive and pulsing. It begins to ascend as you reach the drowsy, meditative state bordering on sleep. You do not strike the tabernacle, neither do you move it until the cloud begins to ascend. The cloud always ascends when man approaches the drowsiness of sleep. For when a man goes to sleep, whether he knows it or not, he slips from a three-dimensional world into a fourth-dimensional world. And that which is ascending in the co- is the consciousness of that man in a greater force. It is a fourth dimensional focus. What you now see ascending is your greater self. When that begins to ascend, you enter into the actual state of feeling you are what you want to be. That is the time you lull yourself 
into the mood of being what you want to be. By either experiencing in imagination what you would experience in reality, or you already that what you want to be, or by repeating over and over again the phrase, that implies you have already done what you want to do. A phrase such as, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? As if something wonderful had happened to you. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, and slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men, and sealeth their instructions. Job 33, 15, 16. Use wisely the interval preceding sleep, assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled, and go to sleep in this mood. At night, in a dimensionally larger world, when deep sleep falleth upon men, they see and play the parts that they will later play on earth. And the drama is always in harmony with that which their dimensionally greater selves read and play through them. Our illusion of free will is but ignorance of the causes which made us act. The sensation which dominates the mind of man as he falls asleep, though false, will harden into fact. Assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled as we fall asleep is a command to this embodying process, saying to our mood, Be thou actual. In this way, we become through a natural process what we desire to be. I can tell you dozens of personal experiences where it seemed impossible to go elsewhere, but by placing myself elsewhere mentally, as I was about to go to sleep, circumstances changed quickly, which compelled me to make the journey. I have done it across water by placing myself at night on my bed as though I slept where I wanted to be. As the days unfolded, things began to mold themselves in harmony. With that assumption and all things that must happen to compel my journey did happen. And I, in spite of myself, must make ready to go toward that place which I assumed I was or I was in when I approached the deep of sleep. As my cloud ascends, I assume that I am now the man I want to be or that I am already in the place where I want to visit. I sleep in that place now. Then life strikes the tabernacle, strikes my environment, and resembles or reassembles my environment across seas or over land and reassembles it in the likeness of my assumption. It has nothing to do with men walking across a physical desert. The whole vast world round about you is a desert. From the cradle to the grave, you and I walk as though we walk the desert but we have a living tabernacle wherein God dwells and it is covered with a cloud which can and does ascend when we go to sleep or are in a state akin to sleep. Not necessarily in two days, it can ascend in two minutes. Why did they give you two days? If I now become that man I want to be, I may become dissatisfied tomorrow. I should at least give it a day before I decide to move on. The Bible says in two days, a month, or a year, whenever you decide to move on with this tabernacle, let the cloud ascend. As it ascends, you start moving where the cloud is. The cloud is simply the garment of your consciousness, your assumption. Where the consciousness is placed, you do not have to take the physical body. It gravitates there in spite of you. Things happen to compel you to move in the direction where you are consciously dwelling. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may, there ye may be also. John fourteen two three. The many mansions are the unnumbered states within your mind. For you are the house of God, and my Father's house are unnumbered concepts of self. You could not in eternity exhaust what you are capable of being. If I sit quietly here and assume that I am elsewhere, I have gone and prepared a place. But, I o- but if I open my eyes, the bilocation which I created vanishes, and I am back here in the physical form that I left behind me as I went to prepare a place. But I prepared the place nevertheless, and will in time dwell there physically. You do not have to concern yourself with the ways and the means that will be employed to move you across space into that place where you have gone and mentally prepared it. Simply sit quietly no matter where you are and mentally actualize it. But I give you a warning, do not treat it lightly, for I am conscious of what it will do to people who treat it lightly. I treated it lightly once because I just wanted to get away. Based only upon the temperature of the day, it was in the deep of winter in New York, and I so desired to be in the warm climate of the Indies that I slept that night as though I slept under palm trees. Next morning when I awoke, it was still very much winter. I had no intentions of going to the Indies that year, but distressing news <coughs> excuse me, came which compelled me to make the journey. It was in the midst of war when ships were being sunk right and left, but I sailed out of New York on a ship 48 hours later after I received the news. It was the only way I could get to Barbados, and I arrived just in time to see my mother and say a three-dimensional goodbye to her. In spite of the fact that I had no intentions of going, the deeper self watched where the great cloud descended. I placed it in in Barbados, and this tabernacle, my body, had to go and make the journey to fulfill the command. Wherever the sole of the foot or of your foot shall tread, that that have I given unto you. Wherever the cloud descends in the desert, there you reassemble the tabernacle. I sailed from New York at midnight on a ship without taking thought of submarines or anything else. I had to go. Things happened in a way that I could not have devised. I warn you, do not tread treat it lightly. Do not say I will experiment and put myself and Labrador just to see if it will work. You will go to your Labrador and then you will still wonder or then you will wonder why you ever came to this class. It will work if you dare to assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled as you go to sleep. Control your moods as you go to sleep. I cannot find any better way to describe this teaching than to call it controlled waking dream. In a dream you lose control but try proceeding your sleep with a complete controlled waking dream, entering into it as you do in a dream, for in a dream you are always very dominant, you will always play the part, you are always an actor in a dream and never the audience. When you have a controlled waking dream, you are you are an actor and you enter into the act of the controlled dream. But do not do it lightly, for you must then reenact it physically in a three-dimensional world. Now, before we go into our moment of silence, there's something I must make very clear, and that is the effort we discussed last night. If there is one reason in this whole vast world why people fail, it is because they are unaware of a law known to psychologists today as the law of reverse effect. 
When you assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled, it is within a minimum. It is with minimum effort. You must control the direction of the movements of your attention, but you must do it with the least effort. If there is effort in the control and you are compelling it in a certain way, you are not going to get the results. You will get the opposite results, whatever they may be. That is why we insist on establishing the basis of the Bible as Adam slept. That is the first creative act, and there is no record where he was ever awakened from this profound sleep. While he sleeps, creation stops. You change your future best when you are in control of your thoughts, while in a state akin to sleep, for then effort is reduced to its minimum. Your attention seems to completely relax, and then you must practice holding your attention within that feeling, without using force and without using effort. Do not think for a moment that th- that it is willpower that does it. When you release Barabbas and become identified with Jesus, you do not will yourself to be it. You imagine that you are it. That is all you do. Now, as we come to the vital part of the evening, the interval devoted to prayer, let me again clarify the technique. Know what you want, then construct a single event, an event which implies fulfillment of your wish. Restrict the event to a single act. For instance, if I single out as an event, shaking a man's hand, then that is the only thing I do. I do not shake it, then light a cigarette and do a thousand other things. I simply imagine that I am actually shaking hands and keep the act going over and over and over again until the imaginary act has all the feeling of reality. The event must always imply fulfillment of the wish. Always construct an event which you believe you would naturally occur or naturally encounter following the fulfillment of your desire. You are the judge of what event you really want to realize. There is another technique I gave you last night. If you cannot concentrate on an act, if you cannot snuggle in to your chair and believe the chair is elsewhere, just as though elsewhere were here, then do this. Reduce the idea, condense it to a single simple phrase like, isn't it wonderful, thank you, or it is done, or it's finished. There should not be more than three words, something that implies the desire is already realized. Isn't it wonderful or thank you? Certainly imply that. These are not all the phrases you could use. Make up out of your own vocabulary the phrase which best suits you, but make it very, very short and always use a phrase that implies fulfillment of the idea. When you have your phrase in mind, lift the cloud. Let the cloud ascend by simply inducing the state that borders on sleep. Simply begin to imagine and feel you are sleepy, and in this state assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Then repeat the phrase over and over like a lullaby. Whatever the phrase is, let it imply that the assumption is true, that it is concrete, that it is already a fact and you know it. Just relax and enter the feeling of actually being what you want to be. As you do it, you are entering Jericho with your spy who has the power to give it. You are releasing Barabbas and sentencing Jesus to be crucified and resurrected. All these stories you are reenacting now, or reenacting if you now begin to begin to let go and enter into the feeling of actually being what you want to be. Now we can go. And there was a silence period. If your hands are dry and if your mouth is dry at the end of this meditation, that is positive proof that you did succeed in lifting the cloud. 
What you were doing when the cloud was lifted is entirely your business, but you did lift the cloud if your hands are dry. I will give you another phenomena which is very strange and one I cannot realize. It happens if you really go into the deep. You will find on waking that you have the most active pair of kidneys in the world. I have discussed it with doctors and they cannot explain it. Another thing you may observe in meditation is a lovely liquid blue light. The nearest thing on earth to which I can compare it is burning alcohol. You know when you put alcohol on the plum pudding at, a, at Christmas time and set it aflame, the lovely liquid blue flame that envelops the pudding until you blow it out? That flame is the nearest thing to the blue light which comes on the forehead of a man in meditation. Do not be distressed. You will know it when you see it. It is like two shades of blue, a darker and a lighter blue, and constant motion. Just like burning alcohol, which is unlike the constant flame of a gas jet, the flame is alive, just as spirit would be alive. Another thing that may come to you, as it did to me, you will see spots before your eyes. They are not liver spots, as some people will tell you, who know nothing about it. These are little things that float in space, like a mesh, little circles all tied together, they start with a single cell and come in groups in different geometrical patterns like worms, like trailers, and they float all over your face. When you close your eyes, you still see them, proving that they are not from without, they are from within. When you begin to expand in consciousness, all things come. They may be your bloodstream objectified by some strange trick of man that man does not quite understand. I'm not denying that it is your bloodstream made visible, but do not be distressed by thinking it is liver spots or some silly thing that people will tell you. If these various phenomena come to you, do not think you are doing something wrong. It is a normal natural expansion that comes to all men who take themselves in tow and try to develop the Garden of Gethsemane. The minute you begin to discipline your mind by observing your thoughts and watching your thoughts throughout the day, you become the policeman of your thoughts. Refuse to enter into conversations that are unlovely. Refuse to listen attentively to anything that tears down. Begin to build within your mind's eye the vision of the perfect virgin rather than the vision of the foolish virgin. Listen only to the things that bring joy when you hear them. Do not give a willing ear to that which is unlovely which when you hear it, you would wish you had not. That is listening and seeing things without oil in your lamp or joy in your world or in your mind. There are two kinds of virgins in the Bible, five foolish and five wise virgins. The minute you become the wise virgin or try to make an attempt to do it, you will find all these things happen. You will see these things and they interest you so that you have not time to develop the foolish sight as many people do. I hope that no one here does, because no one should be identified with this great work who could still find great joy in a discussion of another that is unlovely. Okay, this concludes lesson uh, or part two of Assumptions Hardened into Fact. And I know I uh, rushed through a little bit towards the end, but I wanted to finish in time. Uh, so again, uh, that was part two, which is the end of uh, Neville Goddard's lecture on uh, assumptions hardened into fact, uh, which was given in 1948. So we will continue next time with lesson three, which will be thinking fourth dimensionally. Okay, thank you again for joining the podcast, and we will see you back for the next episode.